Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor and the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast app, Red Circle, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, the Five Reasons YouTube channel. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, and turn the notifications on. Also, check us out on Playback. We'll be there for just about every Miami Heat game this year, watching the stream with you. Go to playback.tv backslash 5RSN, playback.tv backslash 5RSN. We also have off-day shows. In fact, we might do one later tonight. And check out the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. We've told you about Rock Esports Center, ROK Esports Center, where you can eat, drink, and play all day for just $20. You get $5 off the $25 all day play. If you mention five reasons, they're based in Palmetto Bay, 15305 South Dixie Highway, 5,500 square feet, state of the art center. They got the high end power of all the industry titans there. And and they've got drinks, they've got food, they've got everything. And they're going to have us October 27th. Your host, Tropical Blanket, is going to be hosting a live podcast there, Alex Toledo, uh, with others from Five Reasons for Heat Celtics. And then as soon as it ends, a 2K tournament, our first ever $30 entry, and you can win lots of cool prizes and money. So check it out. Rock Esports Center. Again, that's 15305 South Dixie Highway in Palmetto Bay. And now, today's episode. Down to Five on the floor, ride for my dogs. Where is the thing? You can check the score. Hustle hard, couple scars, wearing bubble frogs. Just like Buckley said, you in trouble, y'all. Kept the floor playing, got an all band. Y'all seen the block, stop the one hand. And Pat, we trust, it's power, have the guts. We're here to bring the heat. Y'all can hang it up. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily insider show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick, Greg Sylvander, and Alex Toledo, plus others from the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, welcome back to Five on the Floor. Here's today's floor plan. I got Sean Rochester. You can follow him at S Rochester NBA. And we've got Nate Duncan. We're doing the home and home thing here. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with Nate's podcast, you definitely should check it out. I'm going to allow him to give you some information so you can sign up for it. Um, I came on, I think, a third straight year, I think I've done the Miami Heat with him. I know that a lot of your listeners, Nate, uh, thought I was a little too homerific on that, and yet you and I picked the same number of wins. We both picked 47 wins. I didn't say they were going to win 58 games and win the championship. I just pushed back against some of the national media narratives, but I'm going through it. I'm like, wait a second. That's the most homer. I'm like, I haven't been 47 wins and somewhere between three and a six seed. I think that's fairly reasonable. Uh but anyway, Nate, tell tell everybody where you can find those podcasts. Yeah, so it's uh, Dunked On. You could just search that in your podcast player or search uh, Nate Duncan as well. D-U-N-C apostrophe D. We uh, have a free episode twice a week, and then the rest of them are on Dunked On Prime. I also do a national podcast once a week with John Hollinger, uh, which is also available on Dunked On Prime. I heard you mention the playback in the open, and also mm-hmm. if anybody – wants you know an objective look at the game yes rather yes. than you know the local yes, uh, approach yes. uh you know uh, my partner danny larue and i do so, some playbacks on occasion as well but uh yeah no i think probably the reason that people were you know, you, you were extolling the virtues of jimmy butler which i think actually probably should be done more you know talking about how the heat you know this is he is like that he's him they need to really be like maximizing this window with him, which I don't think a lot of people look at it that way. So they probably were reacting to that during the pod and didn't, of course, nobody's going to wait until the end of the podcast to comment, right? They're just going to hear one thing and they're going to say something. That's how this works. You know that. 
Yes, I, I'm aware. That's why I don't put important stuff at the back end of the podcast. And I put all my predictions that I don't want anybody to ever remember. Uh, all right, so <laughs> let, let's get to the heat here and I'll let Sean get in on a little bit. And then in the second half of the episode, we'll get to some NBA uh, quick takeaways here. But I, I don't know if I convinced you of anything during our because I, I don't feel like uh, you, you know you were you know strongly against the Heat's prospects. I think you have some reasonable questions that that others have had about whether they are deeper than last year, um, I would argue significantly deeper, actually, the more I've seen them in the preseason. Because we haven't seen Jimmy, uh, but we're basically been talking on our episodes. They've got 12 or 13 guys for rotation spots. We were not talking like that last year. Uh, but but just generally, as you look at this again from your bird's eye view, not caught here in the muck like we are down here in South Florida on this gorgeous 72-degree day, uh, where do you stand on the heat this season? Uh, so yeah, you, we both predicted the 47 wins, as you mentioned, I think you did convince me in a way I was kind of leaning anyway, as far as the regular season goes, that it is really forgotten how many struggles they had just with some of the personnel, like you mentioned, backup center was a disaster. Really most of the season, even, you know, Cody Zeller was a, a stopgap in the end, even that, but when he was actually helping you <laughs> to stabilize the situation and same thing with Kevin Love, frankly, I, I mean, Kevin Love was, uh, I mean, Chris Fedor out of Cleveland said he was playing as one of the worst players in the NBA in Cleveland. He played better in Miami, although actually I think he only shot like in the 20s from three during the regular season for Miami. So I, I think the loss of Struess and Vincent, and we'll see maybe playoff Caleb Martin, he certainly would be hard-pressed to repeat that. All of that I think might be a reason why you could say they won't be as good in the playoffs this year as they were last year, but they didn't have playoff Struess and playoff Vincent and playoff Caleb Martin in the regular season. They did have regular season Dwayne Dedman. So I do think that there's, you made some good points there about why they should be better this year than they were a year ago during the regular season. Now, where do you stand on that actually? Cause I haven't gotten your perspective on that. Obviously you follow this team closely. Do they have a chance to be a better regular season team than last year? I I don't think to I don't I don't expect the struggles as we had last year. You know, the depth you just did an episode yesterday on the depth of the team, I think that's going to help. I think, you know, you think back to like injury problems and just like we we could never get it going last year. Like you would take one step forward, two steps back and I just don't expect that to happen again. I think, you know, you're kind of regressing back to a more normal type of regular season, but at the same time, I also don't think it's going to change that they're not going to suddenly care. Like Jimmy's still going to sit 20 games. Like it's not going to, they're not going to put the pedal to the metal either. So I think Nate makes good points that if you look at it from the playoff at aspect of things, I think that's where you're going to probably see it's hard to reach that bar again, but we just went to the NBA finals as an eight seed. Like realistically, that's not attainable in, in most seasons. So, or repeatable in most seasons. So I think they're going to be a very similar team, but I'm hoping for less of the, kind of like roller coaster that we had last year. Yeah, I think the question well, when you yeah. get to the playoffs I think when you get to the que- the playoffs the question always is well how do you look when the rotations shrink down and everybody's only playing their top 8? And I I think they they have a better chance to get to the playoffs with a with a healthier seed than they did last year. 
But then when Milwaukee and Boston are shrinking down to eight and so is Miami, what does that look like? And that that is, you know, that is the concern uh, without a trade. I mean, I want to go to you on a couple of things again from an outside perspective here about some things, the topics we've been debating on the Heat. Because I think when I came on the podcast with you, I said, well, I think Hero and Robinson are going to start in the backcourt because that's what makes sense to me. And that's what I was told by Heat officials that, you know, they don't go with a traditional point guard. They go with Hero, Robinson. Or, or Butler, Richardson, you mean, right? Hero Richardson, and Richardson. Rich- yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Why am I saying? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Richardson, Josh, right. So, so Richardson, Hero, uh, Richardson, Hero, Butler, Love, for short minutes, and bam. And you know, my thinking on that is, if you're going to play Kevin Love in the starting lineup, which it seems like they're inclined to do, at least at the beginning, it, your point of attack defense is going to be a complete and total disaster. Uh, if you have Lowry and Hero in your in your backcourt, because you don't have Caleb or Haywood Highsmith or somebody like that to sort of cover that up. Last year, Caleb guarded the best guard on the other teams most times, but it looks like it's trending towards Kyle Lowry starting. I I don't know if it's because of that's what he wants or that's what the team thinks, but he started the two games he's played in so far, and I looks like it's headed that direction. Can you function? As a starting lineup with Lowry, Love, and Hero all, in the, all, all starting with Bam and Jimmy, or is that too much for Bam and Jimmy to cover up? Well, I think if you look at it, that's is that maybe their best shooting group? It probably is, right? The, that's maybe the best, uh, you know, one, two, and four from a shooting perspective that you realistically could put around those guys in the starting lineup. So maybe the idea is that it makes it a lot easier on those guys offensively. And I would also think that a lot of the Heat's long-term outlook is like, can Bam Adebayo continue to make these incremental improvements? This is his age 26 season. And to actually give him a lot of space to work and give Jimmy a lot of space to work, I think like that could have some advantages. Most teams kind of go defense first at the beginning of games. Uh, the other thing I would say too, is like, you're probably going to have to at least hedge, if not blitz with Kevin Love on the floor anyway. So if that's what you're doing, like they're not going to run pick and roll at Bam. They'll probably run it at Love. And then if you're putting two on the ball, the on-ball defense maybe doesn't matter as much during, you know, that five, six minutes that Kevin Love is going to be out there. And teams aren't going to scheme for like that 12 minutes of the game when Kevin Love is out there. Be like, oh, yeah, we're going to try to attack this. We're just going to keep going at it, keep going at it. You still would have Bam on the back line. So I'm not gonna. I, I agreed with you when your rationale for like why it should be Josh, uh, but Lowry also is, uh, correct me if you feel differently. He's playing well during the preseason, and you know he's a proud vet. He's making a lot of money. Also, if you need to trade him, it would be nice if he's still starting. Like if he's coming off the bench, making thirty million, people are like, why are we interested in this? So I, I don't. I, I was inclined to your logic. But I think I could understand, particularly if Lowry is just playing well. Like, he's still a, a, a good player if he's really running well. I mean, he looks like he's in better shape. I'll say that. Uh, he's distributing yeah. the ball well. I, I guess the question becomes, you're talking about putting more shooting around them, which I understand, but then he's got to shoot. Like, that, that's that been one of the issues in Miami is just his general yeah. reluctance to shoot the basketball, which I don't understand because other than, you know, his ability on hit ahead passes and stuff like that, shooting is still what he does best. And it's just like, I, he just... I don't know. I don't know if it's unselfishness or what, but he just refuses to shoot uh, in catch and shoot situations, pull up situations. He just doesn't shoot. And uh, so if he's going to be on the floor, he's, he's going to need to shoot more. There's no question about it. the other thing is it does make the, if we're talking about Thomas Bryant being their backup center, 
if you're going to be bringing Highsmith, Caleb, and Josh off the bench, well, then the fact that Thomas Bryant's not the defender that Bam is is not as big an issue in those minutes because there's not a whole lot of teams that are going to be able to navigate that to the rim anyway with, with the uh, with the kind of. But it's just interesting to me that probably their three best on-ball defenders who are are Highsmith, Richardson, and Martin. I would think. I mean, Jimmy's more of you know flying around doing everything. Uh, that they would none of them would be starting on an Eric Spolster team is it would be surprising to me. And that's why I thought it would go the other direction. Um, I want to get your thoughts and then uh, let, you, let Sean get in here. Uh, Hero, um, I, I want. we talked a little about Tyler on your pod, uh, but he has really been good in the preseason. Like, I mean, he had 30 in the last game. His efficiency is better. He's getting to his, his spots quicker. There's fewer dribbles. But we haven't seen it, and Alex and I talked about this on one of the podcasts, we haven't seen it with Jimmy. Right, we see. I mean, one quarter of a scrimmage where Jimmy was shooting blindfolded and and left-handed and playing games or whatever, but we haven't really seen it. Do you think, Nate, that that there can be a transition of this team to more hero? Because last year, actually, their usage rates were the same in the regular season, uh, but Jimmy would miss some time, so some of that was when Jimmy wasn't playing. The Tyler's would spike. Do you think they could be an effective? Like where they can make each other better, because I sort of feel like it's always been one one is there and the other is not, and vice versa. Yeah, in terms of making each other better, uh, you know, I think Tyler's a good spot up shooter. I'd like to see him do that more. I'd like to see him work off the ball more, coming off the screens, which I think actually starting Lowry could help uh, with that a little bit. Also, you know, I still remain somewhat skeptical of the on ball. Uh, stuff for for Tyler Hero as more like a guy who's just like the guy in your offense. And, you know, I I feel like when he is the on-ball guy, at least so far in his career, there just aren't as many options for the offense, right? If you have somebody coming off a a handoff or a pick and roll, you'd love to like, okay, can this guy get all the way to the basket? Yes. Can he get to a floater? Yes. Can he get to a mid-ranger? Yes. Can he shoot a three off the dribble? Yes. Can he set up the big on a pass? Yes. Can he find the guy in the weak side corner? Yes. Like that. You would like all those options to be open. I don't think he has as much diversity to his on-ball game as you would like at this point. But uh, as noted, he's pretty young. I just, you know, I kind of wonder, like, physically, is he really at that elite level where all of those options uh, are open to him? Uh, And as far as, like, them playing together, yeah, Jimmy setting him up on the perimeter, I think, could work. Uh, you know, if you have enough shooting around him, you could have Jimmy set the screen for him. Jimmy is so underrated as a screener, like his ability to sense what the defense is doing and cut behind it out of pick and roll is is really good. But Hero then also has to be a good enough passer to find him when he does that. So I, I think those guys can be somewhat complimentary, but the reality is they just don't have that much on-ball scoring on the team. Like they need both of them to be really good. Don, any other uh, th- he thoughts you want to get in here with Nate before we go around the NBA? Yeah, I was going to follow up to that. It kind of combines the last couple of things we talked about. You know, basketball at this point is sort of positionless, right? Across the league, across really any level of basketball. What do you think, you know, we talked about different starting lineups, whether it's Josh, whether it's Tyler, whether it's Kyle, you know, the days of, you know, Sherman Douglas dribbling up to the left slot, pounding the ball under the ground for 12 seconds to initiate offense isn't going to happen. So how do you feel, you know, depending on that lineup, you know, you, if you start Josh and Tyler, there's no point guard, true point guard, let's say. Kyle is a little bit more of a floor general. How do you feel, you know, with Jimmy and and Bam's facilitation and other guys that could be coming off the bench or in the rotation, how that works, maybe not just specific to Miami, but just in general right now? Yeah, I mean, I think particularly when you're looking at a regular season version of 
Jimmy Butler, you mentioned he and Tyler had similar usage rates uh, last year, about 25%. You know, we've seen Butler really ramp that up in the playoffs, which is part of how the Heat often overperform. Uh, But he's not, like you noted with the games at the outset, I don't think he's capable of that sort of a, a usage every night. I don't think you want that. So they are a little bit, uh, I would say uh, they don't have as much firepower as the top teams do it in terms of just their on-ball creation. And then you also, you know, for someone like Hero, as much as I was, was critical of him earlier, you know, he's playing with two guys who don't shoot the ball at all in Butler and Bam. And Butler can help with his spacing. He's really good. But I think when you look at Miami, there's offensively, or then if you go with like a love defensively, a lot of their lineups have just a little something missing uh, compared to the top teams. Uh, and so that's that's why I wouldn't have them at, at that absolute highest level during the regular season because, yeah, I mean, you said, all right, Jimmy Butler, you want to say he's a top 10 player? Okay, in the regular season, sure. Uh, and and Bam is, is a great defensive player, you know, easily a top 10, probably top five defensive player. Uh, but then, you know, for a second best offensive player like Tyler Hero at this point in his career is a little bit underqualified. So I, I think that's why, and like I mentioned, they don't maybe have as much diversity to their attack. Now, they found ways to do that. Like if Duncan Robinson could come back and play as well as he did towards the end of the playoffs or in previous years, I think he looks pretty good this preseason. That's something where maybe you find more plays to run. You find more diversity of the offense, and that's how you can get back to and that league average or above offense that I think this team needs because their defense is going to be really good uh, to get into this high 40s, low 50s and wins like we were talking about. So I think like they found ways to kind of paper it together for you know four or five minute stretch, right? We're going to feature Duncan Robinson coming off handoffs with Bam or something like that. But they they need him, particularly with Struess out, like Struess at least would bomb it from the outside. They need like just a little bit more diversity uh, to their offense, I would say. All right, so before we get to the stuff around the NBA, you talk about they've been able to do this. We know who's been able to do it. It's been their coach uh, in a lot of, a lot of ways, right? And, and you know, the executive yeah. survey c- comes out, and essentially he led every category. Like, uh, I mean, in-game adjustments, everything. Um, it, you know, that it feels like even though he's never won a Coach of the Year award, and we can get into the reasons why specifically that hasn't happened, it's something he doesn't even want. Uh, but uh, I guess my question would be this. We talk about they're missing this or they're missing that, and I agree. I mean, on paper, Milwaukee is better. Um, on paper, Boston is likely better. We'll see, but Philadelphia could potentially be better depending on on what that looks like. I guess the question would be, uh, how many wins do you think somebody like Eric Spolstra is worth? How much, how much of the difference does he make up in terms of – because, I mean, look, uh, you know, Milwaukee's going with a, a, a first-year coach – um, you know, this time around, obviously somebody who has been highly regarded for a long time, but we have to see it. Uh, and Boston, I mean, Boston's coach, I think still think there are very reasonable questions about. So in the regular season, does that matter? Does it matter more in the playoffs? How much ground does Eric make up here? Yeah, I think it's kind of two different things. And uh, Spolstra is very good uh, at both of them. During the regular season, it's kind of more, I think, about a system. It's about having something that you can rely on, fall back on every night, getting guys to play hard every night, uh, having guys who can step in when your main guys are injured, fit into those spaces, be prepared, player development, which uh, the Heat, of course, uh, have been so good at. So I think Spo is very solid there. I mean, you go back to two years ago when they got the number one seed. I thought it was basically 
on the strength of that month when everyone had COVID all around the league and the Heat were just better than everyone else during that month with a bunch of guys that you had never heard of who ended up actually being some mainstays, but that was when a lot of these guys emerged. So I think Spo is, is really good there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, in the playoffs, probably uh, among the best, maybe the best in terms of adjustments uh, and doing stuff that's going to surprise the other team, keep them off balance. Um, so I, I think he, he's really excellent in both areas. Now, uh, I think in a playoff series, it absolutely can swing it, uh, who your coach is. And during the regular season, I mean, that's tough, right? Because it's like, okay, if uh, you know a Wayne Ellington emerges or a Duncan Robinson emerges or a Max Struess emerges, would he have done that under a different coach? You know, hard to say, right? Like how much, how are you apportioning the credit there? Uh, you know, how, how much is it, is the player development staff? How much of it is getting the right guys in that Eric Spolster can mold? So that's really tough to say. I mean, I think if you ask analytics people, this is one of the absolute hardest things to evaluate. Because even when you change coaches, generally there's, you know, if Mike Budenholzer leaves the Bucks, there's still some institutional knowledge left over for all the systems that Mike Budenholzer put in with the Bucks this year. Um, but, you know, I, I think there have been times in NBA history where maybe a coach in concert with the players improving, you know, could be worth on the order of like high single digits in wins. You know, if you look like the 2015 Warriors, some of the, or, or like the 2000 Lakers, like famous times when great coaches have taken over for kind of mediocre coaches, that's probably your best like historical example. So that that's probably what I'd go with in terms of wins. If you uh, put it, put me really on the spot. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that uh, what we've seen with Eric is, it's not just the X's and O's stuff, but he's become so much better at managing a team. I, I I felt even during the big three era, you know, he needed David Fisdale with him because really Spo had trouble kind of with confrontation and and some of those elements that are really important. And so Fizz was his liaison uh, to, you know, to the big three in a lot of different ways. He doesn't need a liaison anymore. I mean, he's got Chris Quinn. He's got a, a good staff. He's got a developmental staff, but everybody knows who's in charge. And I think it also helps also that the front office has made it clear who's in charge over the past few years yes. and, and, and has not has not meddled uh, in a whole bunch of ways. And when Pat has meddled, you know, he and Spo go through a little thing for a little while, but ultimately Spo makes the coaching decisions because we know if Pat was making them, they'd be playing five bigs to start. Anyway, do want to tell, talk about one of our sponsors and then Sean and I are going to switch off here going around the NBA with Nate. Uh, we'll tell you about Better Edge. Sean's heavily involved in that. Go to betteredge.com. Use the code 5RSN. That is legal sports betting. So all the issues... Is this app up? Is that app up? Can I do this? You don't have that issue with Better Edge because you're betting against others who use it. You're not betting against the book. That's the way to go now. So 5RSN, that's number 5RSN, get $20 to play. And then you can enter our, our tournaments, which are only $10 a week. So that's pretty cool. You're actually getting into two tournaments for free. So go to betteredge.com, use the code 5RSN. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, 
flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc all right we're gonna go around the nba here and i'm gonna uh we're uh, i'll start uh where is the best place in your view for james harden to end up philadelphia Speaking currently from Philadelphia as a Heat fan trapped here after the Marlins just got knocked out by the Phillies and the Dolphins are about to play the Eagles. That was going to be my question. Boot him out of here somewhere. <laughs> well, I, this is, I guess, I mean, for for him personally, I guess there's a feeling that the Clippers might want to pay him and that he can push them to another level. I think the big issue in Philly is the long term. They have these cap space aspirations next summer. And maybe James Harden is part of that. You would think probably not. You know, he's at an age where he probably wasn't going to have a long-term contract offer from Philly. That is the, the genesis of his discontent. Uh, but for the Clippers, I I kind of don't. I wouldn't be trying to make that move right now because I want to see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George be healthy for three four months here. And then if I'm like, oh wow, we're so good, maybe James Harden will push us over the top then I make that move. I don't want to give away another three years of my draft at the end of this decade when you don't really have a way to be good at that time right now. Or, hey, maybe someone who's a better fit than James Harden might emerge even uh, at that point. You know, And so that's, I, I think, you know, if I had to guess, you know, it feels like maybe Clippers, but it just, and those are, nobody else is interested in him, that's for sure, is a, is a pretty uh, easy question to answer. But I, I guess... To me, at least for this season, Philly is where he would make the most impact and probably could have the best year. But, of course, that situation is kind of poisoned, so he wants out of there somewhere where he can be long-term contract-wise. Sean? I think the Pacific Division out west, which could be, I guess, a destination for James, is probably the most contested division. I mean, it's just top to bottom loaded. And uh, so who do you think wins it? Who do you think finishes last? Uh, Phoenix Suns, I think, are, are I have relatively heavily favored. Obviously, they have some health questions, but I never like to say, oh, well, these guys are never going to be healthy, so I'm not going to pick them. I think at their best, they have the highest ceiling. Their offense is ridiculous. KD and Booker are on the short list of the best duos in the NBA. Just did a podcast on that with John Hollander, actually. So 
Uh, yeah, I'd say Phoenix uh, wins it. You know, I got them kind of low to mid 50s and wins. Uh, Lakers and Warriors high 40s. Kings uh, probably mid 40s. And then I guess the LA Clippers, I probably have projected as the lowest number of wins. Let me see. I think I actually might have them tied uh, at 46. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough to say who's going to finish last. I would say if I had to pick one team that is going to finish last, though, it's probably the Clippers just due to the health concerns, but I think they can be totally good when if they are healthy. Ridiculously deep division. Um, and, you know, the, the thing to me is where the Kings fall to because they were very healthy last year. They were the healthiest team in the NBA, so there does tend to be a little bit of variance. You know, whenever you see a team win a ton of tight games, that kind of concerns me for the Heat. Uh, we saw that with the Minnesota Vikings in the NFL. It tends to flip the next yeah. year a little bit, and I just, I just wonder about the health uh, with the Kings. All right, Milwaukee, what is the weakness? Anybody who can defend outside of Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Pretty fair, right? I mean, you're, where are you with Middleton's defense at this point? I mean, you saw that series last year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, Jimmy <laughs> and, and he's it, like, Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy did it to Drew, yeah. too. So, I mean, I'm just, Jimmy was doing it to everybody. But I, I, yeah, I but saying. like, I, I mean, there's just sometimes like a guy can score and you're like, okay, this guy is like making ridiculous shots, right? Like, Jimmy, like Drew. Drew wasn't like just getting abused. Like there's a difference between Chris Middleton getting completely blown by every single time he's on Jimmy Butler versus Drew staying with him. Jimmy hits a tough fadeaway on him or something like that, or he's at least got his body on him. Like there's a massive difference there. Fair. Sean, you're up. Uh, we got to see a up close look at Victor uh, a few nights ago and and did some pretty spectacular things against our Heat. Even though obviously we didn't send a lot of people to San Antonio for that game, what are your expectations for him? Obviously, coming into the draft and and you know with the greatest talent ever that's walked the face of the earth, you know all those types of things. But now it seems like people are somewhere in between sometimes. Like obviously, some people are thinking thinking Scoop might be the rookie of the year. What do you think uh, Wemby's going to look like this year in terms of expectations? I think he will be the rookie of the year. I mean, these first two preseason games have been pretty ridiculous. In terms of mitigating expectations, to me, the only reason to do that is that first summer league game when he was awful, but also he basically hadn't been doing anything physically for three weeks. Uh, and then he comes in there. Like, to me, he looks way more explosive than he did in the summer. Like, the off-the-dribble stuff actually looks like it's working. You know, we'll see on the jump shot. Like, he's had hot stretches, but uh, kind of first career, under 30%. From three, so we'll see on that. I think it's going to be a season of exploration for both him and the Spurs, trying to figure out what position he plays best uh, on both ends of the floor, what actions work. But they don't want to put any kind of limitations. It seems like on him, they're going to just uh, let him go and see what he can be, and then try to figure out maybe after this season what we're going to put around him. Now, yeah, so I think I, I expect him to be the rookie of the year. Uh, I mean, this is we haven't seen anybody be this good as a rookie in the preseason since Zion uh, a couple of years ago before he got hurt. That was like, you know, the actual like college athletic sign until he hurt himself and basically has never quite been the same. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be awesome. Is he going to be at an all star level this year? That might be asking a little bit much, but I could see him being kind of below that. And I do expect he's going to be must see TV every night. He's going to do stuff that no one else can do on a nightly basis. Where's the sleeper team in the East? 
not to win the whole thing because I, you know, I don't know. I guess you could consider Miami a sleeper going to the playoffs last year, but to to be more competitive because I'm having a hard time. I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time kind of uh, figuring out like who's a, th- a real threat among the teams that were not last year. Oh, a real threat. Uh, I mean, I think Cleveland will, is just going to have an, a really good regular season again. Like they improve their shooting, their offense should be better. Uh, I mean, that Mobley-Allen tandem, they're going to be right at the top of the league. Defensively, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland in a regular season setting, uh, particularly with some shooting around them, like they're going to be good. I think they're going to win over 50 games. I think Cleveland even could possibly be the number one seed this year, uh, although that Boston team looks really good in the regular season. Maybe before that, I might have even picked uh, Cleveland as having as good a chance as anybody. Um, But yeah, I, I think they still have plenty of playoff flaws. Uh, that I would be concerned about. Um, lower down, I think like Atlanta could be a team that's uh, built for more regular season success. I'm believing Quinn Snyder as a coach now that he's got all this time to put his system in, and they have pretty good depth there. Uh, so you know, a couple injuries here and there aren't going to sink them the way it might for some other teams. So I think they could be a team that kind of punches above their weight in the regular season. Everyone's down right now on Trey Young. I think he can have a bounce back here. So those would probably be my two picks. Yeah, I'm not really loving anybody else in these a lot of people are on charlotte now there's these latest miles bridges things that it just it doesn't feel right in charlotte it feels like things are still uh, they've got a ways to go as towards being a serious organization with the new ownership sean one more you know i didn't want to go with the uh can like who do you think is going to win the championship you know that everybody's asking right now but uh yeah. I just who cares it, uh, about that right yeah, right. that's, that's not, that's not <laughs> um i don't know if you read the piece uh chris vernon did on ringer with calvin booth I thought it was really good. And, and one of the things I took out of it, he talked about if, if things were optimized, um, the Nuggets could win three or four championships. And Draymond just recently said that he didn't think that was possible. Like, they'll remember us forever because we were the last ones to be able to do that. You think in today's NBA of sort of a, a parody league that that's still possible? I or, think or a team to win, not yeah. just the Nuggets, but just a team to have that dynasty type situation. Well, starting off with Nikola Jokic, who never gets hurt and was the best player last year. Y'all saw him up close and just how incredibly difficult he is to deal with. Uh, So I I think that's a great place to start with a guy who's 26, 27 and never gets hurt and is the best offensive player at basketball and one of the best offensive players ever. Uh, So they should be in the mix every single year now. Injuries can hurt you. Like they don't have, I don't think, the same overwhelming talent advantage that uh, the Warriors have had at times. And I do think there's more parity, but I think their ownership wasn't ever going to spend like a crazy amount anyway. So the new rules that are going to kind of limit teams from doing that for more than a year or two, that may actually make things easier for that franchise specifically. And they had this plan now, which uh, Booth talked about of, all right, yeah, we'll let a Bruce Brown go. Not that they could have paid him anyway, but they wouldn't have gone that far into the tax to match Indiana's offer, even if they could have. And we're going to, Try to bring in guys, older rookies, get their rookie scale contract production and see if they can fill in the back end of the rotation around the best starting five in basketball. So I I think that's a reasonable plan. If you are going to have sustained success, that's the way to try to do it. But of course, the jury's still out on whether they can continue to develop guys uh, coming up in the pipeline because over a three or four or five year contention window, you're going to need that as a guy like, say, a Caldwell Pope ages out or maybe Michael Porter Jr. is injured one year, that sort of thing. 
So uh, they had perfect health last year. You're not going to usually have that over a four or five year period, but uh, I think they're in today's NBA, they're as good well positioned as anybody possibly could be. The last one here for Nate Duggan. Again, check out the Dunk Don Pod. Uh, find it wherever you find us. Uh, and again, thanks to Sean for joining us. Thanks to our sponsors, Better Edge, uh, as well as Rock Esports Center. Sign up for the 2K tournament. Last one you mentioned, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, so I will. Um, that you and you and Hollinger went over the best duos in the NBA. Where did you have Jimmy and Bam? Uh, so I had a top three of Dame and Giannis, Booker and KD, and Murray and Jokic. And then I had uh, Bam and Jimmy in that next group. Although I did make the point uh, that they are uh, the only duo that has made it to three of the last four conference finals and two of the last four NBA finals. Did you have, but, but also I, I'm, yeah. Yeah, so sorry. I, I guess I should elaborate too. Um, no, where, where did you, where did you have yeah. Boston in that same group with Bam and Jimmy? Well, for duos, no, I would have it lower. Okay. Yeah, because because the second, the, I, I think Jimmy is probably you have to say is better than Tatum, and I think Bam to me is probably better than whoever you want to call the second guy. Um, so, I, but I will so say this actually is a good J- way to should it yeah. be Jalen date with what he's making? I would think, right? Well, he's not making that till next year. That's true. Good point. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's that's just the economics of the league. Like that, he was just that's right. what he gets paid. That's what the system is. I, but the, actually, maybe we can close on this because I wanted to add this when we were talking about kind of the uh, anything that I had that we didn't get into enough on the prediction pod. I do think you're being a little dismissive of the age concerns for Jimmy. I mean, at mm-hmm. age 34, it's just to be even a top 10 player in the NBA at that age. Yes. Guys play longer now, but you know, he has had consistent knee problems. You know, we saw that kind of wrecked his 21. You know, I don't think he's going to have like a career ending injury, but it's just like even an incremental drop off, particularly in the playoffs. Like that's, I, I think that that's, you know, is he for sure going to have that happen? No, generally you'd expect maybe a little bit of drop off. Uh, but sometimes guys just to, at this age, like, they kind of run out of gas. And I know he's like a really smart player. He can kind of put on cruise control in the regular season. Like you, you made a lot of good points on why he's going to continue. But I, I think just the history of guys at that age, you, I, I think you got to give that a little bit more credence uh, as a possibility that Jimmy just is not going to be that guy uh, by the playoffs this year. That's, you know, especially because he just was so unbelievable. Last year. I mean, he had the best season of his career during the regular season last year too. I think it's, it, there's just going to be, some drop off there. Well, and if if there is, and it's happening in the next year or two, even more reason for the organization to maximize, in my view. But I I feel like, uh, you know, they're they're at a point with him where they're very comfortable. I think where he's going to be. I think the key to this thing is some of the stuff you were talking about a little earlier, which is can Tyler become that guy that takes the burden off of him and doesn't in a variety of different ways, and also isn't so much of a liability on defense that it's essentially negating what he's doing on the offensive end. That is that to me, not once they didn't get Dame and, and obviously drew went somewhere else and doesn't look like there's going to be any orcas or whales or anything like this coming to town. To me, the <laughs> season's on Tyler. Like I, that's, that's where sure. it's at. He, wa- he, he wanted to be here. Um, he's done all the right things. He said all the right things. He's in tremendous, uh, I think mental, emotional and physical condition right now to have a big leap at age 23. We'll see if, if you know, it, we'll see. I don't blame him for getting hurt and missing the playoffs last year. That was a freak thing. 
is now that he's got to show he puts in the work and, and that and that that worked out for him and for them. And and so to me, Tyler, Tyler is the key to this whole thing. But Nate, we appreciate it. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining it, us uh, here as well. And also, uh, Sean, thanks for joining us. And again, check out Dunked, at, Dunked On Podcast wherever you find Five on the Floor. Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network.